catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 121. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. It was a common uh, void within a lot of moms' lives. I was starting to field, you know, a lot more questions from my personal circle about how do I use this this fruit or vegetable, and is this is this produce item uh, a good first food for babies, or how do I get um, a natural a natural source of vitamin K? You know, those are all the types of questions that were coming my way, and I was like, there's not an existing platform online for moms like me or produce industry professionals like me to learn all about the produce department. Welcome back veggie lovers to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Today I have a super fun guest, Lori Taylor, who is the founder and CEO of The Produce Moms. I had not heard of The Produce Moms until now, but I am so glad that I know about it and I am so glad that you're going to know about it because you are going to love this amazing resource. Now, for a second, I want you to think about something. Who is your favorite broccoli grower? Tell me maybe your top two favorite broccoli growers. Who grows your broccoli? Do you even know? I mean, isn't that a great question? Because no, I don't know who grows my broccoli. Unless you go to the farmer's market and you know the guy that grows your broccoli. When you go to the grocery store to get your broccoli or you go to Costco or whatever, you probably don't pay attention to the brands or where it's coming from. The majority of us don't. And that's one of the things that we talked about on this episode, which was completely eye-opening to me and enlightening because I live in the part of the United States. I live in central Washington state. And here is a big apple growing and fruit growing region. So I know exactly when it's apple season, I know where to get my favorite apples when it's cherry season. Oh my God, cherry season is the best. I know where to get my favorite cherries and where I get my favorite blueberries to go blueberry picking. And I know where these farms are and I can go pick them or I can go to their fruit stands and get them. And I know that they're going to be amazing and that I can trust the growers and the farmers But when I go to the grocery store, I'm completely disconnected. I haven't ever really even paid attention 
I don't know where this stuff comes from. So I think that that was just like when we were talking about this, I was like, wow, that's totally true. So that's one of the things that Lori helps us with in the produce moms is, you know, helping us get connected back to our fruits and vegetables, learning more about how to select store and serve fruits and vegetables, getting us excited again about including more fruits and vegetables in our meals. And I think you're going to learn a lot from her and her story today. Before I tell you more about Lori, I want to remind you that I have a lot of amazing free resources that you can download, great, beautiful PDFs. If you go to dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free, F-R-E-E, you can find a dairy replacement guide, a meat replacement guide, eating out guide, zero waste swap, shopping list, all kinds of goodies there for you. Download them one, download them all. In addition, I continue to add more products to my affiliate store. So if you're in the mood for shopping, you want to help Veggie Doctor Radio out a little bit, then go to dryami.com forward slash shop, S-H-O-P. And don't forget, I have a book. It's called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. Thank you for to everybody who has read it, who has reviewed it, who has shared it with their friends and families. And one thing I'm going to ask you, if you haven't already subscribed to my podcast, can you please subscribe to my podcast? That is my main ask. If you subscribe to it so that you can make sure that you are notified when all the new episodes come and bonus episodes that I am releasing regularly now. Okay. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener every week. I appreciate you so much and I'm doing this for you. So thank you for being here. Let's talk about Lori. So Lori Taylor is the founder and CEO of The Produce Moms, a media brand and community of passionate, fresh produce advocates with a mission to inspire everyone, especially children, to eat more fruits and vegetables. For 10 years, Lori worked in the supply chain and sold fresh produce to over 300 retail accounts. Today, Lori and her team are fully focused on educating consumers about fresh produce, introducing them to produce brands, engaging the produce industry with consumers in inspiring conversations, and promoting public policy to protect and increase the availability of fresh produce at American schools. Lori's work has been featured on Oprah.com, Huffington Post, Real Simple Magazine, U.S. Kids Magazines, as well as ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC affiliates throughout the U.S. She has received numerous recognitions for her work and innovation with the Produce Moms, including Vance Agribusiness 40 Under 40, Produce Business Magazine 40 Under 40, and several keynote speaking engagements. Lori resides in Indianapolis, Indiana, with her husband, two sons, and their great Dane. She serves as a member of the Indianapolis Public Schools Wellness Committee, community partner of the Indiana Department of Education Office of School and Community Nutrition, is a Lifestyle Morning Show contributor on WISH TV Indie Style, is the host of the Produce Moms podcast, and is a member of United Fresh Produce Association's Marketing and Merchandising Council. So Lori is one busy lady, and she is really passionate. You're going to find that out in this episode and learn more about Lori, why she started the Produce Moms, why she's so passionate, and some ideas that she has for 
making our school foods more health promoting for our children. So what her wildest dream come true would be for produce in schools. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and that you visit theproducemoms.com, start learning from Lori and her team. And now it's time for the episode. Lori Taylor, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Dr. Yami. It's uh, great to be here and really believe in what you're doing. And I was telling you before the broadcast started today, your work actually came my way through a fan of your page that also happens to follow the work that we do at the Produce Moms and said, you know, I just feel like this is a kindred spirit and you need to check out the work that Dr. Yami is doing and see if there's opportunity for collaboration or to profile her on theproducemoms.com. So it's it's truly a joy to be here and we look forward to having you as a guest on our show in the future as well. Oh, well, this is so cool. And likewise, obviously, I'm all about fruits and vegetables. And so I'm really interested in learning more about your story and your journey. So tell me, what is the Produce Moms and how did it get started? Thanks. It's uh, really my favorite thing to talk about other than my own children. And <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the Produce Moms is, is it's the first and only consumer brand that drives the sales and consumption of fresh produce. This brand is rooted within the supply chain. For 10 years, I sat at the sales desk at Indianapolis Fruit Company. And uh, it was there where I was selling fresh produce to over 300 grocery stores in an 18-state delivery corridor. And my my clients ranged the gamut of independent grocers to large box stores to um, Mexican bodega grocery stores. That's actually how I got the job. I studied Spanish in college and they needed someone to communicate with this emerging uh, new retail format and market. Um, I also took care of some college juice bars and school cafeterias. So really a wide range of all the different types of places. And then also geographically, the different states and regions. Um, and, and that's where my passion and my knowledge came from. And it was 2012 when, uh, I was a young mom and I, was had the opportunity to transition to the sales desk or from the sales desk to marketing at Indianapolis Fruit Company. I needed um, the advancement in my career because, frankly, I needed more money for daycare, and um, I was really I knew that it was going to be a tough. S- uh, advancement for me because I loved working at the sales desk, talking to the folks who had the boots on the ground, the produce department managers and category managers that are essentially making the decision as to what foods are available to uh, the consumer population throughout the United States. These are very influential people in the food and beverage supply chain here in America. And so to learn from them and to work with them and provide them with the knowledge on here's some really amazing varieties that are up and coming, or, Hey, we've got this great special on, uh, you know, a honeydew melon. And it's only, this variety is only available a few weeks out of the year. Like we can help you promote it. That learning more and immersing myself in, in the produce department sales, uh, was just, it was amazing. I knew I was going to miss it going into marketing, but again, you got to pay the bills. That's why it's called work, not a hobby. So I 
had I had the opportunity to move to marketing manager, took that leap. Um, after about six months of just kind of going through the motions of the predecessor, I realized how much I, I really, truly missed uh, the influence that I felt like I was having when I was working at the sales desk. You know, I didn't feel like I was doing anything to really move the needle in the consumption of fruits and vegetables, despite being a marketing manager for a rather large supplier of produce in the United States. And so it was then that the that the concept of the Produce Moms was born. I started doing research to see what kind of content exists online. It was 2011 at the time when I was doing this. And, you know, as, as a millennial mom myself, I was identifying with how I was absorbing information about the products that I was researching for my kids, for myself, considering purchasing for my household. And, and what I found was that produce really didn't have a centralized destination. Um, there was no one place I could go to learn all about the produce department. And as a produce industry professional, I could certainly realize how in my, in my professional life I could use that resource. But then most definitely as a new young mom, I was like, wow, I could really use this resource. And I also found as my, as all of my peers and other friends were starting to have children, it was a common uh, void within a lot of mom's lives. I was starting to field, you know, a lot more questions from my personal circle about how do I use this, this fruit or vegetable? And is this, is this produce item uh, a good first food for babies? Or how do I get um, a natural, a natural source of vitamin K? You know, those are all the types of questions that were coming my way. And I was like, there's not an existing platform online for moms like me or produce industry professionals like me to learn all about the produce department. And you can certainly, um, you could certainly follow some of your favorite brands, but we are a commoditized industry in the way where um, there's a very low brand recognition with our products. So even if you are a huge spinach fan or a huge artichoke fan, you might, and you buy those items every single time you're at the produce department, you might not even know the name of the brand of the item that you're purchasing, especially as grocery retail continues to push produce industry or produce growers, fruit and vegetable growers and suppliers into the private label. You know, it's like wherever you shop is kind of the brand that you get in the produce department. And, and so that, that creates this void. And it's almost like this uh, paradox of sorts, because when I was sitting at the sales desk, I was learning all about these amazing different growers, you know, and the produce managers were helping me with that. And my fellow sales colleagues and the procurement team at Indianapolis Fruit was helping me with that. You got to think right now in America, over 90% of, of fruit and vegetable farms are still family owned today, many of which are over a century year, century operation. So you're talking fourth, fifth, sixth, certain parts of this country, like Central Valley, California, you can be, there's still farms that exist today that are seventh generation family owned. That's unbelievable. I don't think that there's any other industry with that type of heritage still alive today in the same structure, you know, essentially that it was so many years ago. And, and so I, you know, those stories were getting lost in the marketing 
consumers, even myself as a produce industry um, professional was finding myself uh, wanting more or not having the clarity that that moms really want when it comes to making choices that are so important. What food am I going to put into my body and my children's bodies? And and that's when my wheels started spinning. And I'll never forget the night. It was a Thursday night, um, November 2011. I was my whole family was asleep and. I started doing, I had been doing some anecdotal research up until that point, just kind of keeping an eye out on what are like, what are the companies that people do know, like the Sunkist and the Doles and the Chiquitas of the produce department, what are they doing? And what I found was even the stuff that was consumer facing felt to me when I opened it up and engaged with it, it kind of felt like Wikipedia sort of, just sort of cold and very fact-based. It wasn't, or maybe more like a medical journal was how it read. It wasn't a friendly, uplifting blog like so many of, uh, you know, the content platforms I was starting to engage in at that time. I mean, 2011 was really the height of when blogging took off. And, and so I, that night I purchased the domain, theproducemom.com. It was singular at the time. And I thought, you know, that's how I got the job as marketing manager at Indie Fruit was my knowledge from the sales desk in the produce industry and also my relevancy with consumers because I was a young mom myself. And so I bought that domain and then I just sat on it because I was in you know, just didn't have the the executive gumption or fortitude or leadership skills to really take a new idea to my bosses. I didn't even know how you did that. You know, I was 30 years old at the time and just, um, you know, hadn't learned yet how you do that. And so I sat on it and really what I was putting together in the, in the meantime was a complete business plan or proposal for my company on how we could launch this blog um, with a domain that I had already secured, how we could monetize it by working with our vendors, uh, the fruit and vegetable growers and shippers throughout the United States. And then also how we could turn it into a, to a service for not just our end consumer, the retailers, because we were at the middle stage of the supply chain, our customers were the retailers, but also the whole industry could have a benefit from it because the halo effect or the, the evergreen positive here is that we're educating consumers. And I don't need to tell you, Dr. Yami, on anything about consumption data. I mean, you know this. It is We really struggle in the United States. I mean, some of our CDC, CDC data indicates that around 90% of Americans are not eating the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables on a daily basis. Something's got to change. And I believe that education is the gateway where that all begins. And so it was 2012. I found myself uh, kind of forced into an opportunity where I, I felt like it was my dead end. Like, I'm getting fired or I'm going to share this idea and they're going to like the idea and we're I'm still going to have a job. Was called into the president's uh, corner office on a Friday afternoon. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, exactly. Friday afternoon is always bad. <laughs> right. Corner office boss, walk in and you're going to say, uh-oh, again, because I walk in and it's my direct boss, the executive vice president of marketing, the president of the company, and the company consultant. And then there's me. And the consultant was kind of the one fielding the questions as the executive team and my direct boss were, you know, just looking on and listening. And and he, uh, the consultant said to me, Lori, do you have any ideas for our 2012 marketing program at Indianapolis Fruit Company? And I knew at that time, now's the time, girl. You either tell them what you've been putting together 
or you are comfortable with getting fired next Friday, you know? And so I said to him, I was like, yes, I actually do have an idea. And I think it's a big idea. I think we should start a blog, use it as a means to educate consumers. We can call it the produce mom. I'd be willing to offer author it and could serve as the personality behind the brand, uh, to connect with both the supply chain as well as the end consumer. And, you know, I, I explained and, uh, off the cuff, you know, how we could monetize it, explaining, you know, you people are paying to participate in blogs now, and we could build loyalty within our vendors by offering them exposure on our consumer-facing website and blog in exchange for either marketing funds or um, ad buys on the product that we sell throughout this, through this warehouse. And, uh, and so they directed me in the moment to go back to my cubicle and write a blog. And I had about 15 minutes to do it because they didn't even know what a blog was. And I said, okay, went back to my desk, authored, uh, the first blog we ever published on the website, which is who is the produce mom. It's still on the site today. Um, and it just came from the heart in that 15 minute time frame, when I thought it's do or die time with my career. Um, and with this idea that I thought at the time was a really big idea. And I still today, I'm so proud to say that, yes, it's a really big idea. And in 2012, uh, when I printed that blog off, I read it myself. I mean, I kind of got tears in my eyes when I was walking from the copier back to the corner office. Cause I, and I was just kind of thinking, man, I hope they like it as much as I do. And I gave them all a copy and I just sat there and waited for them to read it. And the first person that spoke was my direct boss, John. And he said, I love it. And then the next person that spoke was the executive vice president of the company, Danny. And he said, how much does it cost to start a blog? And so he was really thrilled when I explained that I purchased the domain for $5.99 on GoDaddy and I'd be willing to transfer it to the company for free and that free WordPress templates uh, were available and we could get started with the investment of my time as marketing manager. And I could use my company issued cell phone, which at the time was a Nokia flip phone to take photos. And, um, and that's how we started the blog and we built it together for three years. The company, um, siloed it out into its own LLC. Um, so I, I learned a lot as an employee who was uh, a manager of a, you know, of this effort. I was privileged to a lot of unique learning that I don't think very many people in a managerial level job have access to, you know, learning about PL and um, having the opportunity to really build something that was um, intended to, uh, you know, serve as a, as its own sister company within a corporation. And, and we covered the bills for three years. It paid for my job. It paid for our support team. It created something unique and exciting within the fresh produce sector of agriculture. Um, and, and we started to build a grassroots community through what we were doing, a consumer grassroots community. But it was 2015 when I got another one of those uncomfortable invites. This time it was uh, meet us offsite downtown Indianapolis at this restaurant for lunch on Friday afternoon. We'll meet at one o'clock for lunch and bring your computer. And I thought, man, this isn't good. I'm getting fired. <laughs> you know, I it went through my mind again and, um, and I wasn't getting fired, but that something was definitely up. And at that lunch, it was the CFO of the company and the executive vice president, Danny. And 
at, you know, within that three year time of when I pitched the blog and to where I was at that offsite lunch, uh, Danny had become my direct boss during that time frame, And he personally grew very passionate about the produce moms the same way that I did or the produce mom. It was the produce mom at the time. And in 2015 at that lunch, it was in April of 2015, I think it was April 14th. And, uh, they, I'll never forget what Greg said. He was CFO of the company at that time. And he said, Indianapolis fruit company is done with the produce mom. And at the, you know, it's my only job. It was my only responsibility at that time. I had been three years since I had done sales calls. Uh, they had hired someone else that was really taking care of our B2B marketing. I was, I had nothing else that I was doing. And I had built it, you know, from that moment when I bought the domain and pieced it all together, um, you know, at night after my kids had gone to bed in 2011 and in 2012, had the courage to pitch it. It was really hard to hear that. Um, And I didn't, I didn't want to cry. I still try not to cry in business, but that was one of those moments where I couldn't even help it. The tears were just coming down my face. And I do remember the first words I said, somehow I muttered out the words like fighting, you know, between the tears. I said, well, where does that put me? That's my only job. And then they said, well, we are not looking to get rid of you, Lori, but we are no longer going to do the produce mom. So we have two options for you. And the attorney has prepared a letter. And so that was when, when they slid that legal document across the table to me at lunch, I knew, wow, this is a real crossroads, like biggest crossroads I'd really ever been at in my life. And, uh, I was looking at that looking at that document and there were two options. One was we sunset the produce mom.com. Uh, we change it to the blog of Indianapolis fruit with all of the things that were making it unique, go away. The brand partnerships, the media experiences, myself as the, as the personality behind the brand, all of that would sunset. Um, and the website would remain, but only for like probably a year, you know, and I would go back to the sales desk doing my job that I truly loved for a decade. Um, or option B was I could buy it. And it was really the minute I looked at it, I was like, well, no question I'm buying this, you know? And I said that to them in the lunch. I said, well, I would be, I said, I would be a, my exact words were I would be a caged animal going back to the cubicle and, uh, going back to the sales desk because I have built this brand like any entrepreneur would. And that was really my entrepreneurial leap. I ended up paying more for my idea than the home my family and I live in. And I bought back the produce. I bought the produce mom from my former employers and went through an acquisition to become the owner of something that I had conceptualized, built and, um, loved so very much. And I, at the time it felt very much like I was, um, I was hurt. You know, I felt like, man, these people, I, you know, worked for them for over 10 years of my life. Uh, wasn't really making a remarkable salary by any means. Um, and paying so, you know, having to cash out my 401k, borrow money, like put my family really at a level of risk and debt to acquire this. Um, I, I was angry certainly, but I, I got some good advice early on from another member of the agriculture industry. And he said to me, uh, Lori, this is a small industry. You don't, you know, don't burn a bridge. I'm sure this is an emotional thing for you, but don't burn a bridge. Cause if you burn a bridge here, you'll have no future in, in agriculture. 
And so I embraced the mindset of, I'm so glad my idea sold for that kind of money. And on I went. And that is how I became the owner of the produce mom. And I spent the first year of business ownership really in a panic, um, but also just trying to make sure we stayed in business. It really wasn't until about 2017 where we, I started to think more strategically about what is the future of, of the produce mom. And one thing that I knew was, you know, at that point we were turning some numbers with our community, uh, you know, more, an, more annual and monthly unique visitors to the website, a growing social media presence, uh, more traditional media that we were doing. And I also was seeing what was happening in, with other media outlets, you know, like Facebook changed their mission to being a community-based brand. And I thought, you know what? We're a community-based brand. That's what this thing is all about. It's about helping moms understand that that produce is safe and healthy. It's the ultimate food for you and your family. It's all produce is nutritious, delicious, convenient, and affordable. And we want to educate moms on how to select, store, and serve it. And it's a very two-way street of communication. The, our community gives us great ideas. We share great ideas and inspiration with them. And so it was 2017 where one of my mentors and friends who owns a marketing agency that's focused on specialty crop agriculture, she um, she kind of opened the door for me saying like, hey, you know, if you ever want to do strategic planning, my firm and I will help you. And so it was with Moxie Marketing and Salinas where we would, you know, I went through about a year long process of real professional strategic planning. And um, I, through that, what came out of it was the community component. It wasn't, it, it wasn't alive the way I wanted it to be within the brand. And so that was when we rebranded and it's very simple. We just added an S. Mm -hmm. It was a very expensive S to add when you go through all the USPTO and the registrations and the marks and all that. But at the end of the day, it has such profound, deep meaning to be the produce moms. I love that this brand is for all moms and it's community based and it's mission driven and you don't even have to, we, we also have a tagline that is registered where it, that says there is a produce mom in all of us. I wholeheartedly believe that anyone who wants to eat more produce in volume or variety, this brand is for you. Or if you want to see your loved ones or your children eat more produce in volume and variety, this brand is for you. And so, uh, yes, we are a community of moms, but we are really uh, a community for everyone. The same way, you know, moms kind of have that ethos uh, when you think about their impact on the world. Uh, that that's that's kind of how that's how I view the work that we do at the Produce Moms and the the meaning, the very important meaning behind that rebrand that we did in 2017. So, uh, where we stand today. Dr. Yami, it's nothing's, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. You know, it's like, we're still 100% focused on helping people navigate the produce department. You know, the average produce department in the United States has over 200 SKUs or 200 choices for you to enjoy or, and explore. And the reality is most consumers make the same five to seven meals in their household and they buy the same dozen items from the produce department week after week. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and that's just how it is. Uh, but there's so much variety. There's so many specialty items. There's so many, so many investments happening right now in agriculture to even make things that are like your legacy fruits, um, even things like cantaloupes and watermelons and tomatoes and uh, everything. All these investments are being made to make sure that we have the most flavorful varieties possible coming forward and being available for mainstream America at very affordable prices. Um, because really it all begins with taste. We want our food to taste good. And if the fruit or vegetable, it's already a struggle. If it wasn't a struggle, we'd have better consumption data. It's obviously already a struggle to get most of us to eat our recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables. So as an industry, we know that flavor it is really at the cornerstone of, of increasing that consumption statistic. It has to taste good. And uh, that's one thing I'm so proud of our industry's producers from the seed level to the farm level and, and logistics and everyone that makes it possible for us to bring the most flavorful fruits and vegetables in the world uh, at the, you know, into every corner of our society. And, and so that is our goal at the Produce Moms is to help people understand um, the industry. I think food transparency is so important. Um, I think it's, I think that a lack of understanding of agriculture and the truth behind our food is, is really one of the, one of the biggest threats. And frankly, one of the only threats that fruits and vegetables as an industry has, uh, because we're talking about the world's most nutrient dense, wholesome food, uh, there's no doctor in the world that's going to tell you not to eat produce. There's no religion or culture or anything else that is prohibiting the consumption of produce department items uh, from your lifestyle or diet. Uh, we really are the universal food, and 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 it's just uh, it's just critical that consumers have heightened understanding of the on the farm practices, the supply chain process. And of course, the the from the point of sale to when you get it into your home kitchen, we call that at the Produce Moms from seed to smile. Our goal is to usher people down that path from and help them understand from seed to that smile at your dining room table what the journey is. And and I really want people to know. Uh, I've been so privileged with my career to meet so many of these growers and to understand firsthand how to select, store, and serve fruits and vegetables. Um, I understand seasonality very well in the different growing regions, and um, I, I I do believe that it's a it's a unique level of understanding, and in a way, it's a gift that this platform at the Produce Moms has allowed me to share with everyone. Um, and, and certainly the growers and all of our brand partners that have supported it are, are really the, they're the heart and soul of what we do the same way that the growers are the heart and soul of agriculture. So, um, or the farmers, I should say, but, um, it's just been, it's just been an incredible journey and we've, I feel very validated every time I open up like our analytics report. And I see that now we're at the point where we're, we're attracting around a hundred thousand unique monthly visitors to our website. You know, when I bought this brand, that was a, that was a pipe dream. I mean, I was, we did good to get, um, you know, I think I was running the stats the other day and, uh, what we, the year I bought the produce um, so 2015, our, our best, we were getting like 56,000 annual unique visitors. And today 
we turn that about every 14 days or so. So, um, it's, you know, it's, uh, I, I share those stats for anyone out there that finds themselves in a similar situation where I am, where you're like, man, I've got a unique level of understanding of something that really can benefit everyone. Um, but I don't know if it's really worth it. And my, my thought is it's worth it, especially if passion is what drives it. I'm extremely passionate about this work. Um, I'm extremely passionate about seeing people eat fruits and vegetables as something they want to eat, not something they have to eat. I'm on a personal mission to make that what my children and all children feel when they see produce is I want to eat that. Um, and you know, I, 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 I think that the, I, I do believe that fresh produce makes the world a better place. It makes you feel it's the most nutritious food you can put into your body. And when you feel good and are living a healthy lifestyle, that has a halo effect on, on, on the whole world. Every single person you touch, every single uh, goal you have or individual that you come in contact with, uh, when you look, when you, when you feel good and, uh, you will exude that to every single person or goal, um, or mission that you personally have as it relates to your life. Wow. Amen. Well, <laughs> I am so inspired right now. I have such a girl crush on you. I'm just telling oh, you. Thanks. Um, but I mean, I want to deviate a little bit from produce just because I'm also a businesswoman and entrepreneur. And my heart just like, wow, the courage you had to make yeah. that leap from corporate America, where you had this baby that you grew and you loved. And they were going to kill the baby. And you're like, no, don't kill my baby. I'll pay anything for my baby. I mean, wow. I, I, I'm so inspired and I'm so grateful that I met you and so thankful that Thank you're you. doing well. And we'll help, we'll help you. You know, we're going to help you bring this movement even further. But what I really want to know is, I mean, I, I, I know that you started this and how you started at the Indianapolis Fruit Company, but why are you so passionate about produce to begin with? I mean, is this something that you've been passionate about your whole life or did it happen once you had kids? I mean, what makes you so passionate about it? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I think that my, the passion certainly, like the 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 passion or the fire of passion started burning within me really as a young kid. I, um, my mom, there was a grocery store in downtown Indianapolis. It's no longer in business called O'Malia's, but they did a cooking camp for kids. And I was, I think like seven or eight years old and I attended the cooking camp and I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Um, because we would grocery shop, uh, you know, we'd get our list of ingredients and then we'd go through the grocery store. And that's such a learning experience in itself is to purchase your food measure it, make sure you stay under budget, Um, you know, and then go through the cashier line and make sure that, you know, everything checks out well and that the meats and the produce are separated, you know, as they, as they package them up in the bag. And then we carried our groceries back to their community kitchen area and we would prepare the recipes. It was truly, that's really where it all began. And it's crazy that it began in a grocery store. Um, (laughs) but that is how, where it all began. And then when I was in college, I studied Spanish, um, at, at the university level. And part of my degree requirements included immersion programs or abroad programs. So I had 
a semester in Mexico and I had a summer semester in Cuba. And when in both of those experiences, it was um, that was really when my global lens developed of, uh, you know, my passion that food is culture. Uh, That's really when that came to life. And some of the things that I was sharing earlier in my remarks about how it's it's the universal food item Mm -hmm. is fruits and vegetables. Um, I really saw that in a big way when I had those abroad experiences. Um, I find myself fascinated, uh, always, uh, still today, like if we travel anywhere, um, and there happens to be a farmer's market, or even if we're just driving through rural Indiana to take our kids to a baseball tournament and there happens to be a farm stand, uh, my family knows I'm stopping and they know, <laughs> they know that it's like non-negotiable we're going. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely something that I've been passionate about since a child. So it was great to be in a position where, uh, it could, you know, my passion could intersect with, um, and with my professional life and become my career. Like the yeah. corner, my passion is the cornerstone of my career. And that really is the secret sauce to being able to say, I don't really feel like I work yeah. cause I don't, I mean, I, I definitely have like tax season and stuff like that. Sure. Like I get the, you know, the business owner stress, but the day to day of this thing is, uh, it's an incredible blessing. And, um, I, my passion was not born overnight for fruits and vegetables, but it was certainly built day after day. And I didn't even really grow up. I grew up in a pretty traditional home, you know, like we were eating your basic foods, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like spaghetti meatballs and taco night. And yeah, certainly I was always putting like all of the vegetables on the taco and stuff. But, um, you know, I grew up in a pretty standard Midwest home where, uh, you know, we certainly weren't exposed to a unique level of fruits and vegetables, um, especially in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up. And the produce departments didn't have even a fraction of what they have today on a daily basis in terms of offerings. So, um, but my my family my parents certainly identified that I love to cook and, and they, they got me into that cooking camp at the grocery store. And then from there it just built. And I think I've always been culture obsessed and as, um, you know, kind of a classic American mutt, so to say, I don't really have thick family ties. I mean, we have our religion, we have the fact that we live in Indiana, but beyond that, it's like, ah, Irish, German, a little bit of Scottish, a little, you know what I mean? Like there's no real defined culture within my, within my family heritage. And, and so one thing that I've, I've always held on to and that I've tried to really instill in my own household now that I have my own, you know, family is, uh, our family recipes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that's where I became so passionate about, um, how it's more than food, you know? And then the wiser and older I get, I realize food is how we do everything. Like it doesn't matter if it's the best day of your life or the worst day of your life. You're going to, um, you're going to, food is there. You know, if you, when you're, it doesn't matter if you're planning your wedding, one of the first things you plan is what are we going to have for the meal, you know, or what flavors are we going to have in the cake? Or if your friend has a baby, you drop off a casserole on the front porch. Or if a loved one's parent dies, you sign up to take a mercy, you know, an item for the mercy meal. It's like food is everything. It's Mm -hmm. how we celebrate everything. And, um, and I think that growing up in the Midwest, I, I, I saw a lot of 
a lot of those moments being celebrated with food that wasn't necessarily nutrient dense, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I think that that's growing up anywhere, but, um, I do believe that it was that, you know, it's probably more, um, you know, that sentiment is probably more common among, uh, certain regions of the United States and the Midwest is definitely one of them where, um, you know, fruits and vegetables are not your first thought when mm-hmm. you think about food, uh, unless of course it's a, it's a potato that's paired with a steak, but, um, but, but it's, uh, I, I absolutely just have to credit my former employers and all the farmers that have educated me on this. And then also the schools, I have had a unique connection and, a, a passion for making sure that we get more produce into USDA school meals. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been something that, I mean, I'm, I'm a self-funded lobbyist. I actually pay to be part of a pack. Um, I, I get out there anytime that there, anytime that our industry needs support in DC, um, the United Fresh Produce Association, they know that they can count on me to, find my way to the hill and meet with these folks and also spearhead grassroots movements. Um, we, we were, I'm very proud of our community. We did a grassroots action alert, uh, during child nutrition reauthorization. I believe it was 2018. Um, and we, educated folks on what was happening in DC. There's only one program within USDA school meals that is fresh fresh form fruits and vegetables exclusive. And that's the FFVP fresh fruit and vegetable program. It's the small snack that is served in the classroom, um, to students either before lunch or after lunch. It depends on the bell schedule for the individual students. I mean, some of these kids are eating lunch at like 10 Mm AM, but the school doesn't dismiss until three. So the FFVP program provided a healthy fresh fruit or vegetable snack. If you have a 10 AM lunch, you're getting that snack around 1 p.m. And then you have your dismissal at three. So, um, or vice versa. You know, if you have the late lunch, you get the snack earlier. Um, but that that program is pretty much always under siege because um, there's not in it, it. Unfortunately, it comes back to um, money, really. I mean, that's everyone wants a piece of the pie. And there is, while the USDA school meals have tight restrictions, as to which types of foods can be served in school meals. I, I do have full confidence in USDA school meals. My children, I have two sons. They both go to school with lunch money, not a lunch box. And um, I do think that it's a program that all parents can have great confidence in. Um, but at the end of the day, there it's a, it's a multi, multi-million, if not billion-dollar opportunity for certain sectors of the food industry. Um, because there's 32 million meals served a day just in school lunch Mm -hmm. and school breakfast is another 14 million meals a day. And, um, you know, if you are protecting a component of that meal where it's only fresh fruits and vegetables, um, you've got lots of sectors that want in on that, on that opportunity. And, uh, we would lobby, you know, the work that I was doing with that grassroots political action, we were getting a lot of pressure from canned foods, Mm -hmm. um, where they were wanting the opportunity to serve canned fruits or vegetables to the students at that time. There's nothing wrong with canned fruits and vegetables. I personally always have them in my house too, but I can tell you that they're already served in abundance within USDA school meals. We don't, we, it is okay to have programs or feeding, feeding opportunities that are exclusive to fresh form, uh, 
I, I wholeheartedly believe that, and it comes back to some of my opening remarks on this show is we want, we want, uh, everyone to experience fruits and vegetables in the most delicious state. And, uh, there's no better way to consume fruits and vegetables than in the fresh form. And so that is, uh, that is a program, you know, we did a grassroots, um, alert and within, Gosh, 24 hours, we had over 200 letters sent uh, to the the authors of this bill and to the point where the senator called uh, my Google voice number and said, can you please stop sending the letters? We can't, you know, nothing can come, like our servers are over jam. I'm like, no, sorry. Like, can you please not try to replace canned, you know, fresh produce with canned foods? And so, um, you know, the, the power, it, it, that moment specifically reminded me of, uh, the power moms have when they're passionate, you know, and, um, and it also helps secure my, my industry's respect for the work that we do as it relates to political action and protecting fresh produce and increasing fresh produce in school meals. I've been involved with the salad bar movement and there's, you know, obviously a lot of disruption with that right now because of COVID-19. Um, so working on strategies now to make sure that salad bars can stay in schools. It's those garden bars that where kids can have unlimited amounts of fruits and vegetables after they get their USDA meal components um, and also the ability for a student to choose what they want on their plate the same way as adults. We, we love to choose what we're, you know, we love to have options when it comes to what we eat. Um, you know, it's getting rid of garden bars or salad bars will, uh, decrease the amount of fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables specifically being consumed in schools. It will also increase plate waste because students could potentially lose their student, you know, their choice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in order to get the full meal, so it's reimbursable, um, at the school level, you have to have every component on the plate. Um, so it's a, it's, it's definitely not, there's not a single solution here, but one thing that is, absolute truth is you got to have passionate people, uh, behind the movements. And, um, it's, it's a great honor to join other members of the fresh produce industry and our government relations teams to make sure that we, uh, can protect and increase fresh produce in USDA school meals. It's, uh, it's absolute critically important, especially, uh, considering that right now in the United States, 51% of our children qualify for free and reduced school meals. What that says to me is school meals are, are, are the food security system for our nation's children. And I actually anticipate that that number will go up um, as we battle with more you know, financial troubles or unemployment due to COVID-19 and all the changes that that has had on the economy and society. So, um, yeah, and I yeah. think it's important to raise awareness because I think a lot of people, you know, we're all busy in, in our own lives. We just know what we do. We know our own careers. We know, you know, our little circle. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much lobbying goes on with different yeah. companies to have contracts with, you know, some of these school mm -hmm. systems and get more of this in there, get more of this in there. And everybody's kind of fighting for this. I think a lot of people just assume like, okay you know, we just want to feed the kids and do the best for the kids, but they don't realize all the other processes that are in place to get certain foods in the schools. So I yeah. think it's really, really important to raise awareness of that. I had a couple of questions for you. One, 
is, you know, it sounds like you've had this building passion for, for produce and fresh fruits and vegetables since you were young, but how did that change once you had kids or did it change? Did it deepen your passion? Did you find some barriers there when feeding your own kids? How have you learned as a mother? Yeah, I would say that the biggest thing that I have embraced now that I'm a mother and I always love the opportunity to share this sentiment because I think it's so real and important. Um, favorites are a real thing in food. You know, we all have our favorite foods. And if your kid, um, if your kids are like my kids, they're going to have favorite fruit or vegetable. And some days that's going to be some days, some weeks, some months, that's going to be the only fruit and vegetable they're going to be, they're going to successfully consume. And, you know, it's not nutrition until it's eaten. And, um, it is a okay. If your kid is like, I only want to eat carrots, fine. Make sure carrots are always available and don't beat yourself up about it. If that's the only thing that you're successful with on a given day, week or month. Um, but I will say that as a mom, and I hope all moms can have this as a takeaway from today's episode or anyone that's in a position that's, you know, when anytime you're serving food to a kid or really to a crowd, um, or just to your family, like you, you have a responsibility and you should make it a priority that fruits and vegetables are part of that meal every single time or, or part of that snack. Um, and, and the beautiful thing about our products is they're, they are so abundantly available. And if you are in a situation where, you know, the fresh form isn't accessible or it's not going to work for this specific eating occasion, there are so many options in the center store, shelf stable options, uh, where you can get a 100% fruit or vegetable product and, and serve that as, as a healthy nutrient dense choice and offering of food. So I would say that the biggest thing that changed in my mind was I, I gave myself a little bit more grace <laughs> as it relates to, you know, I'm not going to, motherhood is full of stress and, and, and problems. And I'm not going to make the fact that my kid wants to, I've got my oldest son will eat cucumbers all day long. My youngest son will eat carrots all day long. And sometimes that's the only vegetable I can get either of them to eat. And I'm just like, you know what? fine. They, it will, they will come around. I will continue to offer it. I will continue to ask them to take one bite. And if they don't like it, I'm not going to force them to continue on. Cause the last thing we want is for fruits and vegetables to be something that kids have to eat. Mm -hmm. It should always, we should strive to make it something that kids want to eat. Mm -hmm. I love that. And no, that's, that's wonderful because as you know, working with moms, moms are yeah. super stressed out about Everything. Kids yeah. and their food. <laughs> like they're yeah. really, really stressed out that if they don't eat any fruits and vegetables, like something horrible is going to happen to their health. But you're right. I think when we force kids to eat vegetables, it's like we're causing reverse psychology and we're causing them to want to eat less fruits and vegetables. And that's what the research shows. So it's evidence-based is what you're saying is very evidence-based. Well, let's go back to the schools, because I think that that's very important. Mm -hmm. As you're saying, there's so many kids that eat their meals at schools. Some kids eat breakfast, lunch, and snack at school. So what would be your wildest dream come true in terms of produce in schools? What would you like to see happen? Well, I, I definitely salad bars. I mean, that is, you know, you want to talk about an evidence-based model. That is one of them. Um, and, I realize that we're going to have some severe changes over the next, um, you know, several months as we come back from 
as we reestablish what school meals look like in a post-COVID-19 society. Um, what I don't want to see is everything go into an individually wrapped package uh, that is environmentally, uh, that's an environmental nightmare. Mm -hmm. It's adding a lot of unnecessary costs to food. We are already one of, you know, America is already one of the most food secure nations in the world um, with some of the lowest food costs in the world. And every time you do something, whether it's adding a plastic bag or adding any other step to the food production you know, system, you're adding costs to the goods. And the last thing we want to do is make the freshest, healthiest, most immunity boosting, natural, safe and healthy food more expensive mm -hmm. um, or cost prohibitive, especially in an environment where uh, it is very price driven with the USDA school meals. So, um, and, and really in all households, we have to be mindful of that, but specifically in USDA school meals. So I don't like, I don't like some of the trends I'm seeing right now. And I hope that they are just short lived short term in a response to the pandemic as it relates to single use plastics and individually wrapped everything. Uh, that is an environmental nightmare and our industry, um, and agriculture as a whole. I mean, mother earth is our, this is our office, you know, and, and we have, uh, tried hard as a, as we've put forward, great amounts of effort and progress to um, invest in, in things like reducing plastic use and single-use plastics and, um, you know, just regenerative agriculture and sustainable farming and, and educating society on more sustainable practices. So that is something that's top of mind for me. In a perfect world in schools, obviously, fruits and vegetables have to be offered every day. The salad bar was like the easiest way to make sure there was an abundant amount of choice, color, you know, you eat with your eyes first and there's nothing really more beautiful than a fully stocked salad bar from a culinary and visual perspective. Um, and I do think that scratch cooking is so important. I hope that schools still embrace that. The last thing we want is to go back to the school meals of the, you know, that I grew up in, you know, with on in the eighties and nineties that were, it was a lot of reheatable, like frozen foods and, uh, highly processed foods. Our, our society has made great progress in school meals to, uh, showcase scratch cooking and, and fresh form foods, and we cannot regress. So uh, I would say that in a perfect world, my school cafeteria has an abundant choice of fruits and vegetables, ideally in a salad bar, uh, scratch cooking options that are that are prepared fresh on a daily basis, and and something unique. I think that the kids need to have a say in the menu, mm -hmm. whether you're you're resourcing uh, programs within the school like. Um, you know, uh, family and consumer science classes where education and it's like the former home ec, um, that, that track of education. Uh, there's a lot of students studying culinary arts and nutrition. They, they could absolutely, uh, weigh in to, to providing recipes and ideas for the students, or simply if students want to share what their favorite meals are at home, uh, with the, with the school cafeteria personnel or the administration. And, and then, you know, the school can provide that because I, I have, I've been in a lot of school cafeterias throughout the whole United States and, um, some of the most passionate people in the industry, true, you know, true heroes in America's food supply system are, are all the professionals working in school food service. And, um, 
their, their goal is to make sure that the students come and they have a good warm meal where really love is the first ingredient. You know, it's for some of these students in our, in our country, it's the only sit down meal they get. Um, some students, the only hot meal they get. Um, it's, you know, these are stats that a lot of us don't like to think about or don't have a understanding of because of the life that we live, but it's very real. You know, in Indianapolis public schools, I'm very involved with uh, some of the work here in my hometown. 5% of the students are homeless in Indianapolis public schools. Think about how their meal, how their dining occasions look on a daily basis. I mean, thank God for the school cafeteria is how I feel when I, when I think about those children. And so I, I am, uh, I, I just, that is my, that's my utopia vision is the kids, you know, all are welcome here. No one's getting food shamed. Great nutritious meals are always available. And it doesn't matter if you can't pay for the meal, we're still going to serve you what we serve everyone. And I do hope that that is the next phase of school meals where we are not doing this free and reduced stuff. You know, if, if a kid can't afford textbooks, they're still getting textbooks and no one knows who can or cannot afford the textbook. And I, and I hope that the next iteration or advancement within school cafeterias is that with school meals where all kids get their school meal and you don't have to have a free or reduced card or code that you punch in to get the free meal if you can't pay cash for it. So that's my, uh, that's my vision. I love it. It's beautiful. (laughs) And I love, especially the part about getting buy-in from the students, because we know that that's what the, the technique that we use in our own homes is having kids participate in the cooking or helping menu plan, pick recipes, going to the grocery store, having them pick a, a new fruit or vegetable that they want to try that buy-in. And the choice is so important to children, mm-hmm. but also allows them to practice. And it allows them to see that we trust them, that we value mm-hmm. them, and it helps develop confident eaters. So it's all so beautiful. I love everything that you're doing. What do you wish more parents knew? I wish more, other than what I already shared with my sentiments of don't overthink it, everyone has favorites, okay? Uh, Other than that, I I wish all parents knew that uh, fruits and vegetables are the most nutrient-dense food that you can eat. Like, do not overthink it. Um, It doesn't matter. you know, we are, we are the most food secure nation in the world. We have the most amount of choices. Like most societies couldn't even fathom the, the thought of walking into a grocery store and having the, the volume of options that we have as Americans, where if you want tomatoes, great, you can buy tomatoes. There's going to be 25 different varieties. You can choose organic, you can choose conventional, you can choose greenhouse grown, you can choose locally grown that doesn't exist anywhere else. Mm. And, um, it's a, and really what I want people to know is there is no wrong choice. Mm. The produce department is a guilt-free zone Buy whatever you want and know that you're doing a very good thing and don't overthink it. And if it's, if it's not going to fit into your lifestyle or your budget to, to buy organic food, you should not even, you should not lose a, a wink of a moment over that. Like, do not even worry about it. My, my household, we eat a ton of conventionally grown food and that is a okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the science tells us that the nutritional value is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there are defined styles of farming. 
the same way that locally grown or greenhouse grown or vertically grown or, you know, those are all defined styles of farming. And you should get educated on what those those styles of farming mean. Uh, and I hope that my, my website and our platform and all of our content at the produce moms can be a great catalyst to your understanding of that. That's our goal. Um, and make the choice that works for you and your family and, and don't think twice about it because there is no wrong choice. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love it. I'm eating it up for sure. You're completely hundred percent right. Fruits and vegetables are the most nutrient dense foods. And I tell people all the time that a conventionally grown, you know, fruit or vegetable is better than none. So there, you don't have to be buying organic. Organic is expensive. I live in a small town, so I don't have access to everything organic anyway. And I'm still going to eat my fruits and vegetables because I know that the benefits way outweigh any risk that may be there. Well, I want to know what personal habit you are most proud of, how you developed it and how you maintain it. I would say, um, you know, I have a real, there are days where, um, you know, being an entrepreneur and working in an industry that is demanding as agriculture, it really is the ultimate 24 seven industry. Um, there are days where I do not prioritize other components of my life at the same level. I prioritize my professional life. And, um, again, I come back to a level of grace for myself with that. Cause there's a ton of mom guilt in that, in that lifestyle. Um, and something I remind myself of probably 25 times a day is, Hey, Lori, there is no balance. There is only balancing, you know, and it is a very dynamic concept of motherhood and most definitely for, you know, moms that are also entrepreneurs. It is, uh, it is, it is tough. And one thing that I'm very proud of, it was about two years ago, I made a commitment to myself um, and it's to my kids, but really it's, it's, I think it fills my heart up as much, if not more. And that is every single morning I wake up and I make breakfast for my family. And some days by making breakfast, that means I pull a Chobani yogurt out of the refrigerator and we all sit down and drink that, you know, or eat it together. But um, regardless, I make coffee in the morning, I make breakfast for my kids and I drive my kids to school, um, every day that I'm in town, which, you know, that is the silver lining of COVID. I don't really travel for work anymore, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's something that I've very much prioritized and I'm so glad that I have because it really does come back to one of the things I'm most passionate about, which is, you know, if I had to pick the perfect day in my life, it would be with loved ones around my kitchen table. And, um, and so I start my day like that every day. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. I like that. What you said, there is no balance, only balancing my older son, who's 15 and a half is very mature and wise. And he's always worried about, cause he's incredibly passionate. He's like my kind of passion, but like times 10. So he's already incredibly passionate about things and he's always worried that he's going to overdo it and he's not Mm going to find balance. And I told him the same thing. I was like, really balance is, it's a myth. I mean, Mm -hmm. just imagine when we have newborns, that is not balance. Okay. Like you're up all night long. You don't want to be up all night long. (laughs) It's not balance. So we just, we just ebb and flow. But I think you implementing this habit is really key because whenever we want to prioritize something, we have to make a point 
to deliberately integrate it into our lives. Otherwise, everything mm-hmm. else is just going to take over and we're never going to get to it. So I love yeah. that you said two years ago, you know what, If I, when I'm in town, I'm going to get up, make coffee, make breakfast. We're going to sit down together, start our day together as a family. It fills up my heart, lets me experience time with my children. And just going to add, it's evidence-based because we know there's research that shows <laughs> that sitting around the table together and sharing meals together benefits kids so much. So yeah. that's a wonderful one. I'm going to make note of that and uh, think about Thank that one you. a little bit more. Okay. So tell us a little bit more as we wrap up about the producemoms.com. Sure. How, what um, moms and families can access there. What can they find there? Uh, social media, what services you provide? Tell us about that so that we can connect with you. Great. Yeah. I mean, please check us out. We, I'm, I really believe we have something for everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of cook you are at home. We have everything from a, uh, one of my favorite eBooks is 52 crockpot recipes. So we got you covered one week out of the, out of every single week, we got your weekly crockpot meal covered with that free download. Uh, we have a new content series that we just launched. Uh, it really was meant to help inspire children that are kind of on the struggle bus when it comes to getting excited about fruits and vegetables and it's eat fruits and vegetables like your favorite animals. Mm -hmm. So we have studied the diets of some of the most iconic and beloved animals from zoos and the wild. Um, And we have created an educational series that explains what the animals eat in the wild as well as in the zoos. And we've created family-friendly recipes where your family can eat like your favorite animals. So for instance, with the brown bear, the, the dinner is salmon with a blackberry topping, a little bit of sauteed spinach and sweet potatoes. And it, the dinner comes together in like 15 minutes because we made the sweet potatoes in the microwave. So um, it's, uh, it's very family-friendly, easy prep meals and a ton of fun for the kids because we incorporate like if you want to eat spinach like a brown bear, you'd have to eat, you know, X amount of pounds every single day. Um, and it's just astronomical volumes of fruits and vegetables that these animals that we all love so much are, are consuming. So that's a really fun series that I'm excited about. We actually just started it. That was one of those things where, um, it was kind of inspired by the shelter in place orders Mm -hmm. at home, more people eating at home. Um, and then certainly our produce, the produce challenge, it's one of our brand programs at the produce moms. We publish that the first of the month, every month it's a calendar. Uh, it's been a very powerful tool in classroom K-12 classroom settings where teachers will print it out the way they do other calendars and post it in their classrooms. But, uh, it's a powerful tool for households too. Um, you it's a guide to help you explore the produce department. We are all creatures of habit with our shopping patterns and behaviors. So you can count on our produce challenge to, um, you know, maybe get you to consider new varieties of fruits and vegetables. It's also educational because it includes, yes, of course it includes like tropical and exotic fruits every single month, things that you might not normally think of, but it also really helps educate you on what's in season. Mm-hmm. It's it's we study the markets working hand in hand with America's fruit and vegetable growers allows us to really have a tight pulse on on what is in season now. And we work with our grower network to put together that monthly challenge calendar um, every single month. And so that publishes the first of the month. And of course, we're on all social media. We have a podcast. If uh, obviously you're a podcast fan, you're here with us today. So thanks for tuning in here. 
to Dr. Yami's podcast. And uh, we have a podcast as well, The Produce Moms. There might be some great topics that you're interested in. Uh, we look forward to bringing Dr. Yami on our show in the future. And, um, you know, I, if, and the, another thing I love about our content platform is if we, if you have a specific question that we haven't already answered in our 600 plus pages of our website and all of our social and other digital content platforms, uh, just ask us. And if I can't answer it or my team can't answer it, we will find the person within the global ag supply chain and industry who can, mm -hmm. and we'll get that answer for you. Um, it's a very, it's very much, like I said earlier, when I was talking about the rebrand, it's a two way street, mm -hmm. this, this community. So if you have a question that hasn't already been answered, or if you would like clarification on anything we've published, uh, you can send me right there on our homepage. There's a contact form and believe it or not, the contact form comes straight to my inbox. Mm -hmm. So you'll be emailing me. <laughs> That's great. And I'm assuming too, cause you said before that you guys help select and store as well. So I know that one thing that happens to a lot of Americans is that we buy produce and then like a few weeks later, we find it in the back of the fridge, all moldy and yeah, stuff. So, so I think the drawer of death, yeah, that the intimidates drawer, a lot of people yeah. because you don't know how to store it. And then it goes bad and you feel wasteful and you're like, well, I'm not going to buy any fruit or vegetables because it goes bad. So are there yeah. articles on there that help people? There are. Learn how to we actually that? just published one with a great infographic too. That is something that you could print off and, and keep in your pantry door. And it's a, it's a quick guide on where to store your produce at home for optimal shelf life and flavor, um, how to, you know, how to store your fruits and vegetables at home. And we have, we have blogs and guides on how to request produce department items. Mm -hmm. I know that from the, all my time at the sales desk. Um, sometimes you hear about a great item. You might hear about it on the produce moms or through another, you know, content platform that you're following. Um, and then you go to buy it and you don't, it's not on shelf at your grocery store. And that's really frustrating, um, from a consumer point of view. So, and really from the grower's point of view too, I mean, they're, they're making the investments in these products so that households can enjoy them. And, um, so we, we have a, a blog. It's probably my favorite blog on the whole website. It's how to request an item at the grocery store. Yeah. And yeah, it's like all of America's top grocers. I think we have like, I think our spreadsheet now has over 50 different grocery stores and we have a URL to their online form for product requests, their social media handles, if you'd like to do it through social, as well as their phone number, if you'd like to do it through a phone call. That's great. Wow. That's super yeah. resourceful. Yeah. Okay. This has been so great. I love your story. I love what you're doing. I can't wait for my listeners to learn more about you. But before I let you go, I would love for you to leave us with one call to action. What is one thing that listeners can do starting now to improve their lives? Eat more produce, live a better life. I know it sounds so simple, but it's true. You can, uh, you know, try today to eat fruits and vegetables with every single time you're, you're, you have an eating occasion in your life today. Make sure that fruits and vegetables are part of that. Um, and then also I would encourage you to try more produce in, in variety as well. Um, I know I've said that throughout the show. It's about volume and variety. Yes. We really do need to eat the rainbow to get all those macro micro, micronutrients that are available in the nutrient dense produce department. 
Um, so push yourself to try new varieties or to try a different color of a vegetable that you know you like or something along those lines. Um, but but uh, don't beat yourself up over it. It's pretty simple. Uh, you can just kind of follow the the USDA guidelines with my plate and try to make half of what you eat every single time you sit down to eat, make half of it fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you'll be amazed at how simple that tiny little shift in your diet, what kind of effects it's going to have on your life and your health. Yes. And you know, there are such a thing as picky adults. And I tell them the same thing I do. My pediatric patients is the only way to learn a like a food is through exposure. So baby Mm -hmm. steps, just like Lori's saying, start integrating more and try to work up to that half of your plate. And before you know it, you're going to become a fruit and veggie lover yourself. So Lori, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Congratulations to your journey and everything that you're doing. I'm so happy that I've met you and hopefully we're going to be continuing to stay in touch. And I am excited to see where all of this goes. Thank you, Dr. Yami. Same here. Thanks to all of our listeners. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli.